0: In the recent events that occurred at the Gulf Coast, there was a lot of speculation, in fact still is, on what ultimately is going to happen to the city known as New Orleans. Does it have the kind of future that it used to have? Will it ever be completely rebuilt? Will anyone live there again? Will people go back and move back to this area and determine they'll make this their home? I have personally left three ministries. I left teaching the Grand Rapids School of the Bible and Music to go to Community Bible Church in DeMont, Indiana. After seven years there, we left there and went to Pocatello Bible Church in Pocatello, Idaho. After eight years there, we left there to come here to Texas Corners Bible Church in Kalamazoo. In each case... As we were leaving the area, I've wondered what's going to happen to these people, what's going to happen to us, what will happen in the future. It's an unknown. The fact of the matter is, by faith, you do God's will, you follow his lead, but there are unknowns when you step out and do that. When Daniel was about to come to the finale of these visions, there were some things that he was wondering about. As Daniel was contemplating all of this stuff, he was obviously wondering, will any Israelite survive? What's going to happen to the nation Israel? Did Israel have a future? Would she ever have the things she was supposed to have? Those were questions going through his mind. Would this terrible final beast that we saw last week, the Antichrist, annihilate the entire nation? Now you'll recall that this angel that's communicating these things to Daniel has specifically been sent to Daniel to show him what's going to happen in the latter days to the nation Israel. And Daniel is wondering what is going to happen in the latter days to the nation Israel. He just saw this terrible thing that will happen when the Antichrist will pierce his control towers, as it were, in the beautiful land in Israel, and will begin this rampage against the Jew. So Daniel is given some important information in this text of Scripture. And what God tells Daniel and tells us is, Israel will survive. Israel will survive the Antichrist. Israel will survive the tribulation, and one day Israel is going to shine forth as the nation of God. No matter how many attempts there may have been to destroy Israel, it will never work. The nation Israel is not ever going to be destroyed. The fact of the matter is there have been major powers that have tried to destroy Israel before and they've not been able to do it. What is going to happen in the future concerning Israel is not an unknown. She's going to make it. God wanted people to realize this. She will survive the assault of the Antichrist and she will one day be seen as the nation of God. One day this world will stand in awe of the nation Israel and they will marvel at the fact that she truly is God's nation, God's people. Now, as we come to these three verses before us this day, there are three pieces of comforting information that Daniel received concerning what would happen in the future. Comforting bit of information, number one. Israel will be delivered. I want you to notice verse one. Now, at that time, Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who's found written in the book will be rescued. Now verse 1 begins with the prepositional phrase, at that time. Specifically, the time that he's referring to here is the time when the Antichrist is on his rampage against Israel, the time when the Antichrist has pitched his tents in the Promised Land. Moses, in his recollection or prediction of this time in Deuteronomy chapter 4, said that this terrible distress would come to Israel in latter times. Jeremiah, when he talked about this in Jeremiah chapter 30, said that this time of Jacob's distress will particularly be a time and there's been no day ever like it. The Holocaust of World War II was not nearly as bad as this is going to be. This is going to be a time when the threat of annihilation for Israel will be very real. It will be worldwide. World powers will be against her. Now we know from our study last week in Daniel that you've got the Antichrist headquartered in Jerusalem. He's demanding to be worshipped. He's on a rampage against Israel. You have Syria to the north. You have Egypt to the south. You have Arab forces. You have forces that are moving from the east, a 200 million man army. The fact of the matter is, this is a time when it is disastrous for Israel. To live in the Middle East at this particular time will be very troubled and very difficult, and there is a chance you will die. But God has promised that he will not allow Israel to be completely destroyed. It was Jesus, in speaking of those days that we read about today, who said, If those days were not time-regulated to three and a half years, there would be no flesh saved from Israel that would even be saved or delivered. It was Jesus who said, When Israel sees these things happening, the Antichrist setting up tents, setting up camp in Jerusalem, you get out of there as soon as you can. Don't even take time to go back to your house and get things out of there. The prophet Zechariah predicted that two-thirds of Israel would be killed. I'd like you to see that. Just go forward in your Bible to the book of Zechariah for a moment. Chapter 13. Zechariah, chapter 13. Next to the last book of the Old Testament. And notice verse 8 of Zechariah, chapter 13. It will come about in all the land declares the Lord that two parts in it will be cut off and perish, but the third will be left in it. When this happens, two-thirds of the nation Israel, frankly, are going to be killed during the last three and a half years of the tribulation. And as we read from Isaiah chapter 24, Isaiah predicts that just a few men would be left. These are clearly perilous time for Daniel's people. And I want you to notice that two times in this verse, chapter 12, verse 1, it is referred to as Daniel's people. This is a reference to your people. Specifically, it's a reference to Israel. This is depressing news. This is depressing news that Daniel gets, that there are going to be few people that will be left. And what Daniel learns, though, is that there is a high-ranking angel who specifically connected to Israel. He has a name. He's given in verse 1 of chapter 12. His name is Michael. And one of the responsibilities that Michael has is to monitor all things that pertain to the nation Israel. He's to see to it that she is defended, that she is protected. Look at what Daniel said in chapter 10 and look at verse 21. However, I will tell you what is inscribed in the writing of truth. Yet there is no one who stands firmly with me against these forces except Michael, your prince. Michael is connected to the nation Israel. It's his job, apparently, in the angelic realm to monitor things that are happening to the nation Israel and to see to it that she's defended. And he will see to it that one-third of the nation will survive. Now, three and a half years into the tribulation period, we learn from the book of Revelation. And as we said, you can't understand Daniel without understanding Revelation. You can't understand Revelation without understanding Daniel. The fact of the matter is, three and a half years into the tribulation period, Satan is going to go to war with Michael. And the outcome of that, as we read this morning, is that Satan and his angels will be confined to this earth. Now, once that happens, which is about three and a half years into the tribulation period, Satan is going to go on an all-out crusade against Israel. It is Michael who is assigned to see to it that Israel will be protected for that three and a half years. He'll see to it that some escape. They flee to wilderness areas, other areas of Gentile, and literally wilderness areas, literally mountainous areas. And he will see to it that some of them are preserved. The name Michael means who is like God. And that's very appropriate because the nation Israel is God's people. So the angel who is like God is going to protect God's people. And according to Jude 9, Michael is an archangel, which literally means he's a chief ruling, high-ranking angel. And many believe since the rapture of the church will end this church age and begin that age known as the tribulation, many believe it will be Michael, an archangel, who will announce the rapture of the church. Paul does say that it will be announced By an archangel. But regardless of whether or not Michael announces the rapture of the church. Which I believe what the angel is going to say is come up here. I believe that based on Revelation 4.1. That that will be the announcement that the church will hear. Come up here. And immediately will be caught up in the air to meet the Lord in the air. But regardless if Michael makes that announcement or not. When the Antichrist is focused on the land of Israel. So will be Michael. And he will be one who will stand as the great prince guarding over the sons of Israel. He will see or be the one who will see to it that Israel will survive. However, just because one is Jewish does not automatically mean he's going to get into the kingdom. In fact, Ezekiel describes a judgment that will occur for Israel which will purge Jewish rebels out of it who will not enter the kingdom. I would like you to see that. So go back to Ezekiel, just one book before Daniel, chapter 20. Ezekiel chapter 20. Ezekiel, in his prophetic writing, describes what will happen. In Ezekiel chapter 20. Now notice carefully what we read in verse 33. As I live declares the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out, I shall be king over you. He's poured out his wrath. That's the tribulation. I shall bring you from the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with wrath poured out. This is at the end of the tribulation. And I shall bring you into the wilderness of the peoples and there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. As I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into judgment with you, declares the Lord God. Face to face, Jesus Christ will personally be here judging these from Israel. Notice verse 37. I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant, and I shall pass purge from you the rebels and those who transgress against me, I shall bring them out of the land where they sojourn, and they will not enter the land of Israel, thus you will know that I am the Lord. God says not every Jew is going to automatically, when Christ comes back, have the privilege of entering that land or that kingdom. The criteria for getting into that land and getting into the blessings is clearly spelled out in chapter 12, verse 1 of Daniel. You have to be in the book of life. In fact, he says at the end, everyone who's found in the book of life will be rescued. Now, this book, this book of life, is alluded to in several passages of Scripture. The primary context of this has to do with Jewish believers, specifically those who are found written in the book of life when Jesus Christ comes back to reign as king and they get through the judgment that will purge out the rebels. But what I want you to notice, ladies and gentlemen, is whether you're Jew or Gentile, the only way to get into God's eternity is to have your name in the book of life. And what I want you to know, ladies and gentlemen, is it's not your works that are in there, it's your name that's in there. You're not going to heaven by your works. In fact, your works will not take you there. Many Jews who were involved in all kinds of works, as far as religion goes, Judaism, which was a high intense work system dedicated to law, are not going to go into this land. You see, in order for them to get into the land, they had to have their name in the Lamb's Book of Life. And in order to get your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will certainly be true during the tribulation period. Because during the tribulation period, there will be 144,000 Jewish evangelists who will go all over the world saying that Jesus Christ is going to come back and establish that kingdom for the nation Israel. He's going to give Israel all of her promises. At that point in time, every Jew, in fact, every person, will be faced with a decision. Do I want to believe that? Do I want to believe that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the Messiah? Jesus Christ is the Deliverer? He is the Savior? Or not? And when Jesus Christ comes back, he will judge those based on whether or not they were in the book of life. Now, this will be an unprecedented time of distress for Israel because Satan is trying to rid the world of the Jew in order to prevent Christ from coming back to have a kingdom left. When he's confined to this earth, he's going to go on a worldwide effort to try and eliminate the Jew from the earth so that when Christ comes back, he will not have anything to come back to. Now, I don't know how much you've ever read or know about the Holocaust, but there were some terrible things that happened to Jewish people during that time from 1939 to 1945. Historian Philip Friedman, in his book, Martyrs and Fighters, the Epic of the Warsaw Ghetto, documents a story of a little girl that he saw whose name was Zosia who went through the Holocaust in Warsaw, Poland. And here's the story. I'm going to read it to you. Zosia was a little girl. She was the daughter of a physician. During an action, one of the Germans became aware of her beautiful diamond-like dark eyes. "'I could make two rings out of them,' he said, "'one for myself and one for my wife.' His colleague was holding the girl. "'Let's see whether they're really so beautiful, "'and better yet, let's examine them in our hands.' Among the buddies, exuberant gaiety breaks out. One of the wittiest proposes to take her eyes out. A shrill screaming and the noisy laughter of the soldier pack. The screaming penetrates our brains. It pierces our hearts. The laughter hurts like an edge of a knife plunged into our body. The screaming of this little girl and the laughter are growing, mingling, and soaring to heaven. What happens next is that the feigning child is lying there on the floor instead of eyes. Two bloody wounds are staring. The mother, driven mad, is being held back by women. This time, they left Zosia to her mother. Two weeks later, I met the girl by chance. It was quite a day. The girl was lying in her bed. A handkerchief was tied around her eyes. The girl was stroking her mother's hand and comforting her. Don't cry, mother dear. It probably had to happen this way. It's still better that they took my eyes instead of killing me. After the war, I'll wander from town to town, from one country to another, and I'll tell everyone how the Germans tortured us so that everybody will understand that revenge must be taken on the Hitlerites, and when I take the bandage off my eyes, nobody will have pity on the German children anymore. At one of the next actions, little Zosia was taken away. It was, of course, necessary to annihilate that blind child. Daniel says the tribulation will be worse than that. It'll be a time the likes of which has never hit the world, I can't imagine a time worse than that. But that's what the tribulation will be. And the nation, however, will be saved. And the fact of the matter is, at that time, Paul said, all Israel will be saved. And Michael will play a key role in all of that. Those Jews that are found written in the book of life will be rescued. Now, the second comforting bit of information that Daniel receives is found in verse 2. And that is, Israel will be resurrected. Verse 2 says, many of those who sleep in the dust. And notice many. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now the question arises, if only a remnant of Israel will be delivered at the end of the tribulation to enter the kingdom, what about those believers who were killed during the tribulation? What about those who placed their faith in Christ and they were tracked down by the Antichrist and his bandits? What about the Old Testament believers who died before these things ever happened? What about Daniel and Joseph and Abraham and David and Isaiah and Ezekiel and a host of others who did believe in the coming Messiah who would be the Savior of the world? God gives Daniel some comforting news here. He says at the end of the tribulation, there will be a resurrection of many, not all, to everlasting life. Now we know that there is a resurrection that's promised to all people. By virtue of the fact that this verse says that many will be raised, that tells us there's more than one resurrection. Jesus, when he was here, basically breaks resurrections down into one of two categories. You have what's called a resurrection that he would call a life resurrection, and then you have a resurrection of condemnatory judgment. Let me show you that. That's in one verse in John chapter 5, if you just want to go over to the Gospel of John. Here's where Jesus breaks down resurrections. In John chapter 5 and verse 29, Jesus has two categories of resurrections that will occur. In John 5, 29, he says, and will come forth those who did the good to the resurrection of life, those who committed the evil to a resurrection of judgment. There are obviously two categories of resurrections that will occur. Now, There are actually three resurrections yet to occur which fit these categories. Actually, there are four resurrections yet to occur because there's going to be a resurrection of two witnesses in the book of Revelation. But there are three resurrections that will occur in the future that have to do with a resurrection of life and a resurrection of condemnation. First of all, you have the in Christ resurrection at the end of the church age. Paul talked about that. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet them in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the resurrection of life for the church-aid believer. Then you have the resurrection of tribulation believers, and you have the resurrection, I believe, of Old Testament believers that will occur at the end of the tribulation period, And then you have the resurrection of all unbelievers that will occur at the end of the millennium. That's called the great white throne judgment. And all unbelievers will stand before Jesus Christ one final time before they're cast into the lake of fire. That's the resurrection of judgment and the resurrection of condemnation. The resurrection that is being referred to in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2 is resurrection number 2. The resurrection of the tribulation believers and the resurrection of the Old Testament believers at the end of the tribulation. Now those alive during the tribulation are going to hear a direct witness from 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are sealed by God that cannot be killed. They are going to be protected, they're going to be powerful, they will go all over the world communicating truth. Those alive during the tribulation will hear their witness. And many will believe on Christ and they'll be killed during that tribulation period. And they're going to be raised up at the end of the tribulation to enter the kingdom. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, there were many faithful Jews who anticipated a resurrection day based on a coming Messiah. For example, Abraham believed it when he was about to offer up Isaac. He said, I was about to offer up Isaac, believing that God could raise him from the dead if I offered him up. Job believed in a resurrection. Uh, Isaiah predicted that there would be a resurrection. Hosea predicted a deliverance day from the grave. It was also revealed to David by power of the Holy Spirit that God would raise his own son from the dead. So the resurrection has always been the hope of a believer. What's described here in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, is the resurrection of Old Testament believers and tribulation martyrs to inherit a thousand-year kingdom where Israel is esteemed as the nation of God. And this is called in the book of Revelation the first resurrection. The resurrection of all unbelieving dead is called the second resurrection when they're called to face the great white throne judgment. The emphasis here will be a resurrection for Old Testament believing Israel. Now, When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he said to the thief that was hanging next to him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. Where was he going to go? We know he couldn't have meant he's going to heaven because we have a statement that Jesus hadn't even ascended to heaven three days later. So where was this thief going to meet Jesus that day when he said, today you're going to be with me in paradise? If you carefully study the Bible, you will discover that there are dispensational moments of various things that are referred to as paradise. For example, there are those that refer to the Garden of Eden as paradise. They call it a paradise. In fact, one commentator has written a book on Genesis called From Paradise to Prison. If you look into Abraham's bosom, Another place that's named, Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 23 and verse 43, that is alluded to as paradise. Paul, when he was caught up to the third heaven, he referred to that as paradise. When you get to the New Jerusalem in Revelation chapter 22, you have that place where this tree of life is referred to also as paradise. So paradise is a place that seems to imply where believers are gathered. It's a place of comfort. It's a wonderful place. There's no pain. There's no torment. There's no torture there. And when the Old Testament saints died, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. It was a place where they spent time there, which features the very presence of Abraham. It featured Moses and the prophets. In fact, when the rich man dies and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, The rich man says, send somebody back there to tell my brothers about the truth. I don't want them coming to this place I'm in. And he said, they have Moses and the prophets. So this is a place that features that. At the end of the tribulation period, all of these Old Testament believers will be raised to inherit the kingdom. And that is going to be a glorious day for Israel. Israel will finally be in the land with all of the land boundaries that have been promised to her. And Israel will be viewed as the nation of God. And that's what God wanted Daniel to understand there's going to be a resurrection. And there will be a resurrection of many from Israel to inherit this wonderful kingdom. So the Antichrist and Satan will not destroy Israel. The third comforting piece of information is that Israel will shine. Notice verse 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. During that 1,000-year millennial kingdom, the righteous will shine. Those who believed wisely, those who behaved wisely will be rewarded. In that millennial kingdom, they will shine forth a great reflection of the glory of God. Now, if you ask people today, who are the shining stars of our day? They'll tell you, well, watch the country music awards. They're your shining stars. Watch the Emmy Award programs. There are the shining stars. But if you go into the Word of God and say, who are the shining stars in your world, God? Boy, he gives a nice little bit of information here as to those who are the shining stars in God's world. First of all, they are those who had insight. Look at what verse 3 says. Those who have insight will shine brightly. This refers to insight in the Word of God. Those people in any dispensation of time who say, I'm going to go after a deep understanding of the word of God, those are going to shine brightly in God's eternity. There will be your shining stars. Now Daniel's going to be a shining star in that eternity. There are going to be others who will be shining stars. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David. They will shine in that eternity. There are those who also in the history of the church have pursued a careful understanding of the word of God. And they're going to shine in eternity. A man like Martin Luther who took the word of God seriously and had great insight into it. A man like John Calvin, a man like C.I. Schofield, a man like Lewis Sperry Chafer. John Wolver, There are those men who will shine after the tribulation is over. And they will shine in God's eternity. They'll not be duped into believing lies. They're focused on the word of God when God's kingdom is finally established, those who gave themselves to the objective of carefully understanding the word of God are going to shine. And you put yourself on a path to carefully understand the 66 books that God's put in print, and you'll shine. You're never on a better path. You're never on a higher path or holier path than when you're after a careful understanding of the word of God. When you go after a deep insight into the scriptures, you're on the right path. That's an ambition that will stand for all eternity. So, who will be the shining star in God's eternity? One who has insight. Secondly, one who led others to righteousness. He says that there in verse 3. And those who lead the many to righteousness. Someone has said, if you want to plant something that will last a year, plant a flower. If you want to plant something that will last you for your lifetime, plant a tree. But if you want to plant something that will last forever, plant the gospel into the soul of somebody lost. It's true. In any dispensation, one who wins souls is wise. Communicating the truth to others by life and lips, pointing them into the righteous ways of God, is one that will bring great honor in eternity. In fact, what the scripture says here is that person will shine in eternity. During the tribulation, the fact of the matter is many will literally risk their lives to communicate truth about Jesus Christ coming as King of Israel. They will point many of those Jewish people to the ways of righteousness that are found in Jesus Christ. And when those people get into eternity, they will shine. And you and I talk somewhat glibly about how hard it is to witness. Well, how hard do you think it's going to be in the tribulation? We think it's so hard to witness to people about Jesus Christ. What do you think it's going to be for these people when you've got an Antichrist literally trying to track them down and kill them? There's no doubt one who steps up to the plate and says, I'll testify of the truth. I'll stand there and tell it like it is pertaining to Jesus Christ. That one will shine in God's eternity. And Daniel could be comforted knowing that that God had a future plan for Israel, even though things would become difficult for her. God would preserve her. He would protect her. And eventually, he'd bring her into that promised land and she would flourish as the nation of God. She will blossom like a rose. She'll be esteemed as the nation of God. Daniel could sign off his visions knowing that. I leave us with three parting questions from this text this morning. Number one, is your name written in the book of life. In the book of Revelation, it is revealed that there's one way to get your name in the book of life. You've got to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. You don't get in there by works. You don't get in there by church. You don't get in there by promising you'll be good or you won't be bad anymore. You get in there by faith in Christ. It's his blood that washes away sin. It's his blood that puts you in the book of life. Are you in there? What I'm really asking is this, what do you believe is going to take you to heaven? What do you personally put your faith and trust in to get you there? If your faith is totally and completely and only in Jesus Christ to take you there, you're in the Lamb's Book of Life. The second question is, is your passion one that wants to carefully understand the scriptures? Well, I know for many of you that is your passion. Because really, that's all we do at this church. Just go straight through books of the Bible and you're here and you want to learn them and you want to grow. That's a great passion. That's a passion that will speak highly for you in eternity. Thirdly, is your witness. One that tries to point people in the righteous ways of God. When we have those two passions, we want to understand scripture and we want to point people in the righteous, wise ways of God, we can be sure will shine in eternity.